Hello! We are opening the lids back up once again for another episode of Two Coffins to Speak. Lots of spiders and dust coming out. We are so sorry, guys. Uh, it's been a while. We've been wanting to do this episode. We half recorded it, hated it, mm -hmm. deleted it. We like rage recorded an episode. Yeah. We were just like, fucking give me symbolic analysis. <laughs> <laughs> this is purely a hobby for us. Mm -hmm. So if we don't feel like recording because we're having a rough week or, you know, life is getting us down because elections and everything that's mm -hmm. generally been going on in this burning world of 2020 um then we don't record shit and actually right now we're even getting an alert on our phone what is this stay at home advisory is in effect <laughs> social gathering <laughs> is in effect requires a consistent group of 10 or fewer masks must be worn so yeah i mean the world has been burning so we but haven't the world has been burning. Yes, that is true. But we are recording this yes. on November 8th. Uh, at you don't even remember the day. <laughs> <laughs> We're recording this on November 8th. It's about noon. And we spent all of yesterday pretty goddamn excited uh, to know that it's, it's not even about like Joe Biden is the president-elect. It is the, to know that Donald Trump will no longer be president it's a beautiful thing. I think that's the first time I have taken like a deep breath and my asshole has like unclenched <laughs> in four years mm -hmm. to know that he gone. <laughs> he gone. He gone. He leaving. Yeah. So we're in good spirits today. And then we realized, hey, we're um, kind of pieces of shit and we, we haven't record recorded anything in a while. So yeah. let's do something since we're in a good mood. I'm also eating candy corn because in my mind, I am still celebrating Halloween. Yeah. So I, I think that was the other reason why we, we ended up like nom, nom, scrapping nom. the shit out of the other episode was because we tried to do it right before Halloween and Halloween just didn't feel the same. Um, and so like there was a little bit of that. But anyways, all of that aside, we're Although here. we got more trick-or-treaters this year than we ever have, which made me super happy. Yeah, we survived an earthquake this morning, too. Oh, yeah. There yeah. was an earthquake today, too, guys. That was great. <laughs> Kevin didn't believe me. 2020 fucking apocalypse, bingo, man. Um, Godzilla is coming to get us. <laughs> yeah, so the episode. We're talking about dark humor. We're talking about gore and catharsis. We're talking about, like, and it's kind of appropriate that this is happening today after the day that we had yesterday. We're talking about being able to, like, just find joy and happiness and laugh in the darkest, sickest moments, mm -hmm. sometimes at the things that you can only laugh at when someone else is laughing with you, mm -hmm. when you almost get that social permission from other folks who are watching a movie with you or watching something happen and you see everyone else giggling and you're like, oh, thank God I can laugh too. Mm -hmm. Dark humor, I think, is a huge part of me. It's what gets me through <laughs> my daily life. I make some pretty dark ass jokes between me and Kevin, but we just get it. Yeah. And we giggle because we have to. Because if you embrace, like, the horrible things that happen, it just sucks you in. So laugh. Just fucking laugh about it. Yeah. And we're going to talk about, like, what are the parameters that make something dark humor versus something that makes something just straight up offensive, right? And something that, um, you know, people, people aren't going to laugh at because, oh, this is humorous, but people might just become uncomfortable about and, mm -hmm. and where are those parameters how far can you take it mm -hmm. um 
and and there's actually like a lot of science behind that and there's a lot of um a lot of studies that go into kind of where that plays out but also how it progresses through time Uh, and the movies we're going to talk about um (laughs) are one of desiree's favorites and one of my little like hidden gems Mm -hmm. Uh, so we're going to start with ready or not Ready or not. Um, so hold on. So we're going to start with Ready or Not in 2019. And then the other movie we're going to talk about is Little Monsters in the same year. Um, and just a heads up to see these films, Ready or Not is currently available on Amazon Prime. Um, but you have to have, I don't think it's like flat out Amazon Prime. I think you have to have like the HBO add on to yes, it. Yes, you're right. Um, so if you guys have HBO. you're good to go um we personally i loved this movie so much the week that it came out i just went out and bought it um which it's actually really hard to find so amazon prime um if you don't want to support amazon prime then whatever your local movie store newberry comics type Mm -hmm. of thing to get this lovely movie Yep. And then Little Monsters is on Hulu. Little Monsters is a Hulu original, so you'll be able to find that. Hulu has been wrecking shit right with there. the horror movie game. I'm just saying. I'm, I'm not just gonna saying. lie. They're they're pretty damn good. I fucking love Shudder. I adore Shudder, but every so often those new releases that are coming out, I think between Hulu and Shudder. Yeah. If you're a horror fan, between those two services you'll find plenty to enjoy. Mm-hmm. So those are the two movies that we're going through, but before we get started, Desiree. Yeah. What? Why don't why don't monsters like to eat ghosts? Because they taste like shit. <laughs> <laughs> no, you did it wrong. What? Oh, no, I did not. Desiree. That's the joke. Because they taste like sheets. Sheets, Desiree. Yeah, sheet. sheets. You said shit. Shit. I said shit. <laughs> so I started with sheet, but made it sound like shit. <sighs> Okay. Kevin's Kevin's got some pretty awesome dad jokes. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what you're talking about. I oh, enjoy that. Hey, uh, by the way, the other day, uh, I'm taking an online class, and my uh, professor is a vampire, and guess what his favorite kind of assignments are? I don't know this one. It's going to be bad, guys. What is it? Blood tests. <laughs> that's that's a bad one. You said a really good one the other day. I can't remember what it was. a lot was. of good ones. All right, those will those will become interspersed throughout the episode. Can, can you please? <laughs> yes, can you please? So before we dive into Ready or Not, I want to talk about about about. Um, I want to talk about humor, and I want to talk about dark humor and catharsis, and kind of where those things land. Um, so, the first source that I'm pulling from is is from an article by Eric Jaffe called "Awfully Funny." see what you did there, Uh, that talks about kind of like the boundaries of humor. And he goes all super Western with it, and he goes all the way back to Plato talking about like humor equals pleasure plus pain. Pleasure. Which, let me tell you, (laughs) Hellraiser references abound. (laughs) What is your pleasure, sir? Um, So pleasure plus pain, and I think that there's a a lot to that, and I generally fucking hate Plato. But I do think there is some some validity to that idea of if you've ever been watching a stand-up comic and they say something about you, something that's tied in some way to you, whether it's an experience you've had, an identity that you share, whatever it might be, and you have that moment of cringe plus laugh. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of what it means of pleasure plus pain. You have to have some 
some connection, some experience, something tying you to that moment to be able to really find the humor in it. But it's weird because there's that fine line of it being hilarious and it depends on who's telling the joke. Yup. And that fine line of you're a fucking asshole. Yeah. Like I personally love Latin American comedians because mm-hmm. they are so close to our culture as well that mm-hmm. like when they generally like say certain jokes, I feel it in my bones <laughs> because I'm like, oh my God, yeah. that is my family. That is my mother-in-law. That is a cousin, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but if it's somebody who doesn't have any cultural background whatsoever trying yeah. to say that type of joke, I get pissed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so I want to talk about kind of why that is. And so Jaffe points to comedy coming from um, moral violations, right? Something can only be funny if it breaks the rules a little bit. And this is why adults find it so hard sometimes to watch like little kid shows or child movies and then every so often and and as much as i fucking hate them disney and pixar does a pretty good job about this pixar is pretty good of throwing (laughs) in throwing in like mildly inappropriate jokes that are referenced so that the adults in the crowd get it because it's a moral violation the reason why you're you're more likely to laugh Mm-hmm. is because you as an adult are sitting there and you're like, dear God, another song, another sing-along. And then something gets said, toilet humor, sexual reference, whatever it might be. And you laugh as your kids stink eye you because you're like, oh, they're not supposed to say that in this movie. And or so- your kid has completely no idea why and they're laughing too. And then you kind of give them that look of, do you even know <laughs> what they're talking about? <laughs> How is my parenting going? (laughs) So there has to be some kind of moral violation, but it has to be seen as harmless. For for humor to work and for humor to become catharsis, meaning that like the humor alleviates your stress and provides you with feelings of joy and happiness. Mm -hmm. There's a moral violation, some rules are broken, but it has to be seen as harmless, as as no one is deeply hurt or affected by this. Mm -hmm. Right? And so that that's tough that's a delicate balancing act and that's kind of why like horror and comedy are such close genres because both horror and comedy really straddle the line of those two things often you know Mm -hmm. i think about some of the goriest movies i've watched that i loved and then some of the other gore movies that i've watched that like have really turned me off and really just been like you went too fucking far yeah those are the ones that are way more serious. There's no moments of pick me up mm-hmm. to like just disconnect you for a whole second. Mm-hmm. So then like you just get engulfed in the gore or the the story or something. And it's just for me, it's too much. Mm-hmm. It's just too much. Mm-hmm. And so Jaffe in this article looks at why that is. Why is it that humor how do we judge that boundary where humor becomes harmless? And so he says it depends on the setting, which I think is like, it sounds obvious, but when you start to really pay attention to it, right? If you're at a comedy club, if you remember those before Corona, <laughs> if you're at a comedy club, you're in a setting in which you are prepared for the person in front of you to say things that will break moral boundaries, that will be moral violations. And, and I think everybody's had that experience, or at least, you know, I have a few of my friends have, where you go to a comedy show and there's that one per- person that just 
pushes it a little too far and it just makes you so uncomfortable like i'm cringing right now (laughs) because like there's one specifically in my mind i'm not gonna you know break it down and super talk about it but i just felt for that person where it's like stop stop shut up just just walk off the stage right now please just walk off the stage right now yeah but yeah and so that's the thing is like the setting is right but they haven't gotten that other piece and that other piece is there has to be some type of psychological distance right from the pain that's being talked about there has to be a psychological distance for the audience for the people you're trying to make laugh from the pain that you're referencing in the humor right so that's why you know the person you're talking about or or any comedian sometimes who will get up on a comedy stage and they might go off about a topic that it's just too soon or mm-hmm. what they're talking about the element that they're talking about is just too close for psychological comfort that people become uncomfortable yeah you know people become uncomfortable it's like you know male comedians it's so nowadays every so often we'll throw on a, a stand-up comedian on netflix and we're always hesitant when it's like a white cis male comedian because we're like all right where's the fucking wife jokes where yeah. are these things going to come from mm-hmm. where's the woman jokes yeah. this joke i'm like here's the list of things he's going to talk about yeah and half the time it happens and we turn it off within 15 minutes because i'm like it's just another one yeah. like and so part of that is because psychologically we have no distance from that in our everyday lives we're constantly especially with the president who we had (laughs) especially with the president yeah orange bastard every day yeah every day was another experience of of you know patriarchal violence and so there wasn't that psychological distance Mm -hmm. but then the comedians that you referenced right the like comedians from immigrant communities who will be talking about like what is it like to have a mom who's constantly on you and what is it like Mm -hmm. to you know have these experiences that most immigrant communities can sympathize with Mm -hmm. you know people watching that are older and they're like oh my god i remember getting the crap beat out of me with a with a chanclado or in portuguese with a chanela right and the wooden spoon and so you've got enough psychological distance to laugh at it you weren't laughing when you were younger but you can laugh about (laughs) it now (laughs) yeah Yeah. that's why we love jokes that reference childhood memories right yeah even if they were bad we have that psychological distance and so that's important and i just wanted to frame that in our minds before we start talking about the movies Mm -hmm. so Ready or not. Ready or not. This movie was done in 2019 and it was directed by Matt Bettinelli. Um, So I think one of the greater reasons why we choose this movie since we're talking about dark humor is the movie itself is about marriage. (laughs) Marriage. Marriage. True love. Love. Um, And it is something that, you know, majority of society deals with in their lives they come to a certain age they're with their partner for a while they get the pressures from their family to marry and this this and so forth Mm -hmm. and with marriage comes the the ceremony like the the general the dress the husband the family gets together uh people are judging the wedding all Mm -hmm. this stuff dealing with family who likes you and dealing with family who wants nothing to do with you but now they are in your life yeah um 
we personally did not have a wedding because of all of this. We had started planning something, money started adding up, all this stuff, and we ultimately decided, why? <laughs> why are we doing this if we're going to be miserable the That's whole day? Like, it was miserable. It was horrible, guys. I mean, and, and we're not ragging on anybody who decides to do this. Um, personal choices, I don't have family really i have like one family member that i talk to desiree um, came from a green pod that was <laughs> I, <laughs> slowly growing in the garden i don't know where the hell i came from but <laughs> i just choose to personally distance myself from my family wholeheartedly for good reasons mm-hmm. uh kevin on the other hand most of his family is in portugal yeah um so uh, no uh, I'm sorry. Um, we different. So in order to have a ceremony and the time we wanted to have it, which was Halloween, it was hard for them and their kids to come over because they're in school, which is yeah. totally understandable. Um, so at the end of the day, we were like, let's take some pretty pictures and just, I don't know, go away for the weekend and we'll go to the courthouse and do the damn thing. Yeah. And we did. And there is not one day that goes by that I regret it. Yeah, it was the best um, decision. It was the best decision also because, like, we just don't enjoy... People? Because <laughs> I that, don't. <laughs> that. But we also... A social gathering like that with so many rules. There are so many mm-hmm. social norms and rules around a marriage ceremony. Any kind of marriage ceremony. You know, we see people nowadays who do, like, alternative marriage ceremonies. And that's great. But there's still a hundred and one social like pressures and implications. Who do you invite? Who do you not invite? Who sits next to who? Well, what food are you gonna have? Mm-hmm. Uh, what traditions are you gonna put into your wedding? Like, I know some people something about wearing something blue and something old i i don't know what i'm not a huge girly girl so i've never like my dream wedding is this never (laughs) like um so that was a big thing too but we we enjoyed what we did and i I don't i don't regret it for one day we're also very um kind of i don't know logical people (laughs) as certain numbers started adding up i was like excuse me for one day Mm -hmm. it's going to cost what and And i was like do you know what i can do with (laughs) this money (laughs) like we were like like looking at our debt looking at what a wedding was going to cost but what's ironic is that we had planned if we were going to do a kind of you know pseudo traditional ceremony it was going to be on halloween in 2020 and so <laughs> it would have been last yeah, month. Yeah, it would have, it, been, a it would have been a few weeks ago. Outside. Because it was a full moon. It was on a Saturday. Mm-hmm. It would have worked for majority of people. Mm-hmm. Um, thank God. Because <laughs> like, we, we, we dodged not. We dodged Rona. We dodged the fact that there was snow in New England the uh-huh. day before. And it rained on the night of Halloween. Mm-hmm. And it was like 40 degrees. And we were going to do this outside mm-hmm. near the shore at like Colt State Park. It was, <laughs> it was, I'm very, very grateful. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's the pain, right? Because we're going to talk about like the humor of this film. Yes. And, and I think you're spot on that the setting of a wedding 
even before all of the other things we're going to talk about that create pain and, and, and discomfort in this film. It strikes a note with everybody, mm-hmm. I think. Where it, Whatever background you come from or anything, just the social norms of what's expected at your wedding, what's expected to happen, everything to go through. You go through some shit yeah. during a wedding. And this is exactly what happened in this movie. Yep. So we'll get to it. Um, the movie opens up. You start seeing some like game boards and things on the walls, um, all kind of with the name uh, LaBelle's Gambit on it. So you start to get a theme. Um, you see these two young boys kind of running through the halls. You can't really tell if they're having fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of them ends up, uh, it seems like the older brother hides his other brother in a closet. Mm-hmm. And then things start to unwrap because... I'm trapped in a closet. Oh, my God. <laughs> You see some older people, not super old, but adults, uh, coming out. And this guy kind of grabs him. And I think he says, like, hide me, save me, something Mm -hmm. like that. And then homie gets shot in the chest (laughs) with, like, a fucking crossbow. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't think it was a gun. Um, I think it was, yeah, it was a crossbow. An old school weapon. And you see that there's a woman in the background who you assume is the bride because she's in a wedding dress. And Mm -hmm. then you make the connection that, okay, this is your groom who is screaming and sobbing. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you see like the family member takes him away and all this stuff. Something is not right. (laughs) (laughs) And then it pans out to a woman who is reciting her vows in the mirror. Mm -hmm. And then Samara weaving of all people who it is not Margot Robbie. Because I thought it was Margot Robbie for the longest time. I think that's her name. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh, she was so good in that movie. Uh-uh. Wait a second. <laughs> that is not her. I am an ass. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, Samara Weaving did an amazing job in this movie. I'm sorry, girl, that you uh, keep getting misidentified. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so it, it pans out to her doing her vows. Um a gentleman walks in who is her soon-to-be groom who pretty much gives her an out saying, like, you don't have to do this. Um, their talking in general is very relaxed. Mm-hmm. It's not really somebody you would think to be, like, super proper or anything from that. Yeah. As time goes on, you see that he is from a very wealthy family who their background in the industry is game boards. Yeah, It's games and everything that has happened. Um, And she did not come from that background. She came from the foster care system. Mm -hmm. It's uh, unveiled that the reason she really wants to get married is because she's never had a family of her own. So it's that social pressure of going through the marriage, doing everything to create your own family, even if it's shit. Because you can see this family is shit. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But the thing is, so like he comes from he comes from money, Mm -hmm. but they made the decision whether whether it was the decision made in the script or afterwards that it's blue blood money it's old money it's mm-hmm. not because you know it, this film easily could have been set in like a modern mansion very streamlined and all those things no but it's not it's that old manor type house it's that good wood <laughs> it's that good wood yeah and and that definitely adds to this 100 hand carved everything mm-hmm. like it's just you get the feeling of the house you like, get a haunted house feel you get a haunted house feel but like you feel like damn this is wealth like mm-hmm. this hinge on this door cost more than anything that i've owned in my life yeah um 
but yeah so you see them starting to go through they get married and stuff you start to see some family members disgruntled and not happy with what's going on specifically one which is an aunt who is creepy as fuck mm-hmm. um but i also kind of love I kind of love her too. <laughs> and that's the dark humor part, right? Is that, and we'll talk about this as her this hair. character progresses. I enjoy her hair. She's so fucking essence. mean. Yeah, like she, her essence is one of anger. If you ever died, <laughs> that would be me. I just want yeah. you to know that. Just evil as shit. Um, but pretty much the gist of this movie is they get married and she has to play a game with the family at midnight. Mm-hmm which is she pulls a card from this mysterious deck that her new father-in-law explains was given to them um, pretty much by what he says like their wealth came from, which they made a deal with somebody, pretty Mm -hmm. much a deal with the devil in order that for... Well, they call it, they say it's Mr. LaBelle. They made a deal with Mr. LaBelle. Yeah. Yeah. Hashtag the devil. Mm -hmm. Um, And that is why their family has done so well. Is because they made this deal with him that whenever a new family is brought, a new family member is married in, uh, they have to play this game mm-hmm. and they have to follow the rules. Little does she know that if she pulls the card called hide and seek, shit goes down. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, I mean, it, would, it wouldn't be the movie. Uh, <laughs> she pulls fucking hide and seek. So she thinks it's going to be an innocent game. You see it is not. The yeah. family is literally, it becomes a hunt. It becomes a hunt. It becomes the entire family against her. Mm. And so there's a lot of um, there's a lot of like tropes in the film, but there's also a lot of stock characters that you would expect, but that are still super enjoyable. And I say that because of the way that um, his brother and sister-in-law, or no, sister and brother-in-law, act. This is the cokeheads, right? Um, <laughs> One. One was a cokehead. I don't think. Let's be honest. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> And, and and they are just written to be the very stereotypical, super bougie, wealthy couple. Mm-hmm. Um, she is she is skinny to a point of concern. <laughs> he is like on the heavier, chunkier side. Mm-hmm. And two dickheaded kids. Yeah, up until that point, they are just the epitome of like, oh, I hate you. Mm-hmm. And when the card gets pulled, even them, even this like kind of dejected wealthy type character their faces change everyone's face changes everybody at that table um because what you find except out, for one person yeah except for evil ass aunt yes um so what you find out later in the movie that beginning scene of that man getting killed at a wedding was actually his aunt's wedding so that's the last time this hide and seek game was played mm-hmm. and her new husband was shot in the chest with a crossbow. Um, so I don't blame her for being uh, an old grouchy bitty. Um, <laughs> I would be too. Absolutely. And I would want blood. Uh, but yeah. So then she pretty much realizes very shortly after as her new husband is trying to warn her of what happened because he just decided to not fucking tell her mm-hmm. the entire time until it actually happened. Uh, what was going on with his family and she sees one of the maids get killed and realizes this is not a game anymore. So, yeah, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, this is when she's hiding in the dumbwaiter. Uh-uh. No? No. So the first death is when I think they're in the bedroom. He pulls her into the bedroom, pulls yeah. her to the side, right, right. and they're whispering, and his coke-headed sister uh, comes out <laughs> and just fun shoots a maid. <laughs> so, yeah. And that's when she was like, 
oh, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> and so, all right, 101 different things that you could say about this scene. But in terms of why, I hate to say it, why we immediately laughed when this happens is because of, you know, the air that's set around this scene happening. Mm -hmm. We will go through the scenes. Let me just finish the the gist okay. of the movie. Okay. So she realizes shit's about to go down. And it's pretty much her journey of trying to survive this crazy ass family. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, guys, she does. I was super fucking amped. Well, one of the rules... She it, has to make it till the morning. Yeah. She has to make it till the morning because if she lives and makes it to the morning and the family doesn't kill her, the family dies. Mm -hmm. So that's why it's a constant cat and mouse chain uh, game like back and forth, which is fucked up because it's the entire family in a house they're comfortable with against her. But we will talk about that. Um, and she makes it and she makes it. Her dress is completely torn to shreds. Mm -hmm. She's smoking a cigarette on the back stairs covered in blood mm -hmm. and the paramedic asks her if everything's okay so as the house is burning in the background as the house is fucking burning to the ground in the back but mm -hmm. i love this movie it was fantastic it's absolutely one of my favorites whenever anybody asks me like a movie they should watch that isn't super scary or mm -hmm. super gory or anything like that i'm like dark humor is the way to go you should definitely check this out yeah for sure for sure. I, I as as you will well know, love the fact that this took a little bit of a, a demon turn yes. in the end. <laughs> that there was that little demonic element of it. Uh, and we'll get to that too. But um, yeah, I, I, I want to talk about people getting crossbows and axes <laughs> to the face because um, that's that's what we're talking about yeah. in this episode right yeah let's how let's, can that be funny let's fucking break down some of the dark humor and the symbolism mm -hmm. uh one of the definite things is the weapons and like the family in general yep. they come from old money when they go into that that game room that she's completely unaware about what's about to fucking go down you see old paintings everywhere of like the grandfather above fresh kills. Mm -hmm. There's taxidermy all over the walls. There's all these old weapons. Yeah. Like all these things. You just get this sense of he likes power, I guess. Yeah. And like he likes to be in control and everything else is his prey. Yeah. And which is ultimately what the family is doing. The family represents him. Mm -hmm. And the weapons and all these things. And she is the fucking prey, mm -hmm. which is horrible because ultimately, guys, if this was real life, like if this was me marrying into Kevin's family, <laughs> I would have died. <laughs> like, all these people in a house that they're comfortable with cheating, using fucking cameras uh -huh. and like these weapons and shit. And I have nothing. I am locked in this house. I just have to live. I would have been dead. Yeah, and I think it's also important to recognize in, in what you just set up is that symbol of, like, predator versus prey is, is the class element of all of this, mm -hmm. you know? They are an obscenely wealthy family. Mm -hmm. Like you said, Samara Weaving's character, Grace, she she is entirely intended to represent kind of, like, working class background, mm -hmm. right? Like you said, she was a foster kid. She was all of these things. She didn't have a family, Didn't wasn't used to this environment. And so there's also this symbol of, like, 
when working class folks try and break into the kind of strata of the wealthy, mm-hmm. you're always going to be seen as prey and you're always going to like have yes. to have your guard up and be a danger. But- I'm I'm also a firm believer that if you are that type of wealthy, that type of blue blood money, mm-hmm. you didn't get there in a clean way. No, no one you wealthy did. You stepped on people. You did mm-hmm. some dirty ass shit to get that sort of social status, which is exactly what they did. Yeah, I mean that's true of all wealth, right? Is that it's Yes. It's not your profits, it is stealing other people's labor. It's yes. not paying your workers enough so that you could make millions and billions of dollars. Mm-hmm. Looking at you, Jeff Bezos. Looking at you. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you he has a room like that fucking room. Even though my ass was like, yeah, buy the movie off Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> It's hard, guys. It's a vicious circle. Um, but yeah. Um, but yeah, and so to that point, I, I think if we look at what makes some of the kills funny, right? What makes some of this yes. gore humorous? It's it's the fact that the weapons used... Were so ancient. And they're so obnoxious. They're so obnoxious. When I tell you that the aunt is holding an axe, I don't mean firefighter axe. I don't mean like Viking utility axe. I mean, like, World of Warcraft video game size. And she's tiny. And she's tiny. And she just wields that shit. Uh But it's funny, too, because it's the freaking 2020, or this movie took place in 2019. Mm -hmm. And some of the comedic relief from it is the brother-in-law who's Uh taking a shit, who is literally, like, (laughs) YouTubing how the fuck do I use, use a crossbow? A crossbow. <laughs> also, mm-hmm. are d- like devil uh, contracts real? Like yeah. just all these things. While this girl is trying to just survive, I'm yeah. like, are you fucking kidding me? But I think that's what gives you the psychological distance, right? Mm-hmm. If you had done the same film, the same kills, and they're holding like. AKs and and like modern weaponry and they're killing these people in like all of these very modern ways that feels too real you know I think about Mm -hmm. the movie that came out The Hunt um, and it's just like that's there isn't enough psychological distance from that whereas you've got someone in like a a gown with diamonds blowing coke holding a rackety wooden crossbow going oh shit i shot another one damn it daddy i missed again (laughs) i think that's an actual line yeah it's okay honey it's fine we'll get it next time don't worry and so that gives you enough psychological distance to be like oh super fictional but fucking hilarious Mm -hmm. um and and the gore is real they didn't skimp and i appreciated that Mm -hmm. um i think that very first kill and again you'll correct me if i'm wrong because my chronology on the movie is kind of scattered but the very first kill that happens is the crossbow kill right she the the sister um unleashes the crossbow she gets shot in the head with her little baby gun i'm pretty sure she kills another one with a crossbow later on. All right. So I, I think it's her little pistol, like her tiny little pistol that she like misshoots on one of the maids. Maybe. Yeah. The first two kills are both maids, you know? Yeah. And and the thing is, the first maid who's killed, she or first or second maid who's killed, she's trying to outgrace. 
she's she's trying to say like hey she's over here hey she's over here i forget if it was the first or the second one yeah i'm a little fuzzy on it too but Um, just in general all of them there's this this rule to the game that if a family member finds her mm -hmm. they have to yell out she's over here she's over here so it's not even like it can just be a one-on-one thing like where they kill which is also fucked up that's not fair what the hell (laughs) like (laughs) one against like 10 people is not right um but yes, one of the maids at one point was trying to out her. I'm not sure if it was the dumb waiter, the crossbow, or the freaking gun. Yeah. But whichever it is, I, I'm thinking specifically of the one where she ends up like on the floor, and and this is where you know you have a moral violation that creates the humor because you have the maid on the floor after being shot. I forget if it was the crossbow or the gun. And then for a solid, like, four minutes of the film, you just hear... Yeah, she's just gurgling and suffering. And the whole family's like, oh, I liked her. She she was one of my favorite ones. Yeah. And and they're sitting there, and the the daughter is, like, crying, talking about how hard it is to kill someone with a crossbow. (laughs) Until finally, mean-ass aunt comes over... With the big World of Warcraft axe chops and her chops head her head off. I think it was the crossbow because there's that scene later where they are tossing the bodies and his brother <laughs> picks up her head and there's a crossbow uh-huh. uh, bow mm-hmm. through her head. So it might have been the crossbow. Yeah. And so you're sitting there and you're dying laughing. Because you're like, what the hell, guys? Exactly. What the hell? There was you just m- killed an innocent ass person. <laughs> there is that moral violation. There's the psychological distance, and you're laughing at how fucking terrible this family is. There's also that underlying darkness of like help is replaceable. So mm-hmm. like they don't care that they killed her because they can get another one. Yeah, very it's much so. Fucked up. And they call the they call them like the help, the maid. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's no name given to these characters. And so it's it's very obvious as the audience that the director is kind of calling out how shitty bourgeois culture is and how shitty wealthy culture is. Mm-hmm. And that's why it feels okay to laugh, you know? Mm-hmm. And boy do you laugh at some of these. And there are yeah. others where you are where you're grossed out. Yeah. There I, I enjoy a good movie that has um up close shots of like just disgusting ass shit it's kind of my favorite Mm -hmm. um grace who is the main character in this movie she goes through a transformation um not like a butterfly (laughs) 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 but the poor girl you actually visually see her change throughout the movie you see her dress it is beautiful white and pure in the beginning and the second shit starts to go down she is ripping that dress apart she is putting on her fucking converses and Mm -hmm. she is fighting for her life Throughout it, you see blood start coming on it. You see burn marks. You just see the complete transformation of her, too. Her hair is getting disheveled. She's becoming mm-hmm. stronger. Mm-hmm. stronger, And she is getting wounds. Oh. Flesh wounds. Some intense wounds. Some intense wounds. So uh, one of my favorite scenes in this movie is when she... Um, goes to a part of the property she finally gets out of the house she goes to a part of the property and there's goats in like this barn yes and she's like what the hell so she's trying to hide automatically i'm excited i'm like fucking goats we're in an old this something's going to go some shit wonderfully demonic here some shit about to go down (laughs) um so she's hiding and she hears footsteps so obviously if i was grace 
shitting herself. Mm -hmm. Um, And it actually ends up being one of the little kids. Mm -hmm. Um, So at one of Alex's nephews um, from the mother who enjoys drugs. Uh, So (laughs) she's just like, don't, don't cut her that kind of politeness. She's just like, oh, thank God. It's a child. I'm okay. That's like her sense of relief. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, the kid tries to shoot her. But ends up shooting her through the the hand because she puts her hand up. So she's mm-hmm. got a giant, fresh bullet hole wound through her hand. Knocks this fucking kid out. Mm-hmm. Thank God. Which again, which was so satisfying. Humor, dark yes. humor wise, moral violation. This is an adult who just fucking sluggers this kid. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you're like right in the chin, right in the yeah. fucking chin. Morally, you're like. You do not hit a child. You don't hit a child no matter what. Nah, this kid got what he deserved. I would have decked the shit out of him too. Um, and then I, I'm kind of like foggy on how it happened. I don't know if she's like walking back. Something happens and there is a pit mm-hmm. in this barn that she falls down. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it is filled with goat carcasses that are decaying away. Yet again, another transformation. Her dress is now getting covered in goat fat and decay and all this mm-hmm. stuff. But she also looks to her pans and looks to her side. And it's the body of the husband from the aunt with the crossbow arrow through mm-hmm. his chest. So she realizes, damn, this and is where I'm going to fucking end up. One or two of the maids, too, right? That it had been Not killed. yet. I don't okay. think they okay. were there yet. I think they got... Mm-hmm. dumped a little after um <laughs> because that's when the mom finds her son yeah remember? you're right you're right uh so grace obviously survivor mode kicks in mm-hmm. i have to get out of this fucking pit there's a rickety old ladder because why the fuck not <laughs> um and it's wood and if anybody has ever worked with wood and it's around things that are decaying and oils are getting in the moisture. air and, and moisture the wood is falling apart. Moist. So as she's trying to climb up this ladder, now with her freshly wounded hand that is covered in uh, decay, which is totally going to get fucking infected, mm-hmm. um, there's this scene where the ladder breaks. She's got one chance to get out of this fucking <laughs> pit. And you see it And coming. her hand reaches up for that extra support, uh-huh. and you just see a nail sticking out that's holding the ladder, <laughs> and her new hole in her hand helps her to get that extra grip because <laughs> it goes right through that fucking uh-huh. nail and she screams mm-hmm. and that scream i felt in my soul <laughs> um yeah and this was not funny <laughs> and this is it, that's the thing is like uh, part of the brilliance of a, uh, of a movie that that fucks around with dark humor is, uh, yeah. <laughs> but like as it's happening it's like of course why not mm-hmm. why would it be any other fucking way Uh uh-huh a good movie that knows how it's doing its dark humor is going to bounce back and forth between things that like you should or or feel okay laughing at Mm -hmm. and things that you're legit cringing over Mm -hmm. things and and this was one of those moments where you know she's got the jesus wound and you see it coming (laughs) smack and you're like there it is and bam oh no matter what that she Mm -hmm. samara weaving is is in my opinion, totally capable if people keep offering her these roles of being a scream queen, of being like really known because the way that she did. I felt it. That scream. I felt it. So good. Because she knew if she let go, she'd be fucked. Uh And if she held on, it hurts, but you got to do it. Uh And like for her, anytime she tried to escape, something you think would be a simple escape 
doesn't become simple for her anymore. Mm-hmm. Jumping a fence, going through a fence, anything like that. Because mm-hmm. they even showed her trying to get to the main fucking road. And she's going through one of the iron bar fences. And they just do that perfect scene of her back getting fucking ripped open, the dress torn, yeah. and her flesh sliced. Yeah, by like wrought iron. By wrought iron yeah. because she sees a car coming and she just needs to get to them to ask for help. Yep. Gets to the middle of the road and is just like, help me. And they're uh-huh. like, fuck off. <laughs> like, drive off. And then there's that beautiful scene where she's like, fucking rich people. <laughs> and it's just like, girl. Yeah, yeah. I know. It's, there's some some great moments. Woof. Some, some great <laughs> moments. Woof, man. Um, but talking about injuries, um, Desiree. Oh, God, what? What do you call... Oh, 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 it's a joke, guys. It's a joke. I'm ready. <laughs> what do you call a ghoul with a broken leg? I don't know. A hoblin goblin. <laughs> oh my God. That's dad joke number two. <laughs> and we should I- do dad joke counters. Ding. Ding, um, ding. <laughs> tell me if I'm skipping ahead too much or if you want to talk about something in between, but I do want to talk about like the build up to that ending. Yeah, that's fine. Okay. I'm good. Um, Throughout the film, and I think like throughout, I would even say more than three quarters of the film, but that's just an easy number for me. Through three quarters of the film, you are, at least I will speak for myself, I was convinced that this was all bullshit. There's a lot of little demonic references throughout. Like we said, the the person they made a deal with is is named LaBelle. Bale being one of the princes of hell or duke mm-hmm. of hell and but uh, I, I think too it's because all the newer goats. family members they're not convinced either yeah they just think that this is some family ritual that they've been going through their entire lives and doing sacrifices because they mentioned they do some stuff on the side as well mm-hmm. hence the goats mm-hmm. um that became like their childhood and everything but they've never actually seen anything besides yeah. alex who is her but new husband we don't hear about that until way later in the until film. way later yeah but that's the thing is three quarters of the film you're like this is bullshit this is like rich people being psychotic and fucking with poor people yeah and and like quite frankly sacrificing the poor as they do and all of these things and then the the dial just goes up the little Satan dial, the little demonic dial goes up to 11 right in the very last quarter of the film where you've got them like set up in fucking. So they finally catch Grace, right? They finally catch Grace after this back and forth with the butler. And it was a back and forth with catching her, too, because she escaped, got away, caught yeah. her, like all this stuff. <laughs> Poor thing. And, and, and they're set up in like full stereotypical 1970s satanic ritual movie scene right robes hooded robes the candles the chanting she's strapped to a table that's kind of got like a pentagram thing going Mm -hmm. on with it um and they're about to kill her and this is the first time they're about to kill her and she gets away and she gets away because um the younger brother helps to like poison essentially um to not full-on like kill you poison briefly poison the family so that their stomachs hurt they're vomiting and they're gonna have like the light shits yeah um but i'd also like to touch on the brother and alex Mm -hmm. so alex 
it's hard because you have this feeling for him where it's like, dude, this is your new wife. Like, fight for her. And he does fight for her throughout the movie. Alex what? is the older brother or the younger brother? Alex is the younger brother. Right? Hold on. My fucking up name. My fucking up. Duh, Daniel always cared for Alex. Yeah, Daniel is his older brother. Okay. Alex is the husband. All right. Right. Sorry. Or am I backwards? No. No, you're uh, right. No, you're right. Al- Alex is the husband. All right. Um, but what was I talking about? He cared for Grace. Yeah, he cared for Grace. So he didn't. Even, he didn't even want to get married because he knew what would come of it. But he knew that it meant to her. He knew that if she didn't marry him, she was going to leave. So ultimately, he never wanted her to leave. Thought they would skip on by, never have to play the hide and seek game. So throughout the movie, his family is trying to trap him, not get him near Grace. He tries to help her a few times. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's all this shit. And his brother, although has to play the game as well, there are moments where he helps Grace as well mm-hmm. because he's just mm-hmm. like, this isn't right. Fuck my family. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that constant like back and forth tension with it. But you always kind of feel something shady about Alex because yeah. it's like, why didn't you warn her? Yeah, yeah. Duh. <laughs> like, the hell. Um, or get the fuck out. Just get the fuck out. Cart got pulled. Bye, guys. This was fun. Toodles. Yeah. yeah. So it's not until the end of the movie that like you see Alex change his mind, which we can mm-hmm. talk about afterwards. Mm-hmm. But I just wanted to bring up the back and forth. Yeah, yeah. So she escapes. She gets away um, in that first initial sacrifice. And it's between her first escape and when they catch her again that you get this real tense moment between Alex and his dad where his dad says, like, you're, Alex, you're the only one who's ever seen Mr. LaBelle. You're mm-hmm. the only one in the family who's ever seen him. And now you're like, all right, hold the fuck on. Like, is yeah. there is there a real demonic pact here? What's going on? You're just tripping on? balls, old man. Yeah. <laughs> like... Is this... You know, is this a critique of of, of um, superstition and religion amongst the wealthy? Which I would have fucking loved. I think that's okay. fine if we had gone that direction. Uh, and then they capture her a second time. Fucked up situation, the way that they catch her. But they catch her a second time. They are about to sacrifice her. Do you want to talk about how they catch her the second time? Because this is this is the ultimate betrayal from, from um, Alex. Mm-hmm. As she eats candy corn. Sorry, candy corn. I love it. I know people hate it, but I think it's fucking delicious. Um, We're going to lose all 10 of our listeners because they all hate candy corn. Sorry, guys. Uh, But there's a scene where it's pretty much coming down to Grace and Alex's mother. Mm -hmm. And Grace ultimately bashes her fucking head in with the card box Mm -hmm. that... uh, the, this whole game is like revolved around and so satisfying mm-hmm, and alex walks in right afterwards mm-hmm. so they're talking back and forth because it's just her and him and he pretty much realizes he's like you're you're never going to be the same because she wants nothing to do with him she doesn't want him near him like don't touch me because she's in survivor mode yeah and he's just like we're never going to be the same are we and like she's just shaking mm-hmm. and he realizes right there that like he lost her. Like, sh- I don't fucking blame her. I wouldn't trust your ass either. Yeah. But his mood entirely flips over and he's like, well, if you don't want to be with me, then why should I fucking die? <laughs> like, fuck it. Mm-hmm. And grabs her, calls for the family. Yeah. And that was the final time that she got caught. 
Which, again, like, symbolically is the ultimate Got betrayal caught. of this idea that, you know, the wealthy aren't going to change their ways. Mm-mm. The wealthy aren't suddenly going to become generous. Fuck your trickle-down economics. Fuck your capitalism. Fuck your wealth. Fuck your bourgeois class. It's not going to happen. The idea of compassionate capitalism doesn't fucking exist. They're always going to choose the... Um, the repetition in the cycle of their family's wealth over mm-hmm. anything, anything else. And that's what we see and we see Even it play out. Even love. Even love, god Even damn it. Even love. <sighs> and they capture her the second time. They're about to go through the ritual. The ritual. The ritual. <laughs> <laughs> They're about to go through the ritual. <laughs> uh, enter robes, enter chanting, enter all these things. It's about to happen. She's about to die. Sacred dagger. And Alex is the one who's going to kill her, mm -hmm. which is another thing like, damn. And then, and I I loved this, then the aunt sees that the sun is coming up. Yep. And dawn is rising. They're about to bring that dagger down. Mm -hmm. Grace shimmies just at the right moment and gets stabbed in the fucking shoulder. Uh Uh-huh. One more fucking wound. Because why not? (laughs) Um, And yeah, the aunt sees that the sun's rising yeah the the sun's rising and the thing that i loved about the way that they did the scene is for a solid three four minutes you just (laughs) see this family cowering and you're dying laughing because nothing's fucking happening right they're like huddled up terrible kind of interview with a vampire style Mm -hmm. of like the sun right nothing's happening nothing's happening and they're all like it's bullshit I knew it the, was the, bullshit. The little cokey uh, <laughs> sister. Uh, sister and everyone is like holding her kids, just waiting for them to, they don't know what, but waiting for something to happen. Mm-hmm. They they start accusing it of being bullshit. And mm-hmm. this is that very moment where you talk about comedic timing. The comedic timing in this scene was fucking perfect. Yeah, because I think the aunt was like, well, we should still kill her to make sure. Fuck <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. it. <laughs> and the second the aunt says that, it is the schlockiest, giant, overdone, bloody guts explosion. <laughs> she just implodes from the inside out. Mm-hmm. Guts everywhere. And then it's just one, one by, by one. one. They're each all family screaming. Member. And they're just like, don't take me. Don't take me. The mom and the kids run in the hallway. You just hear plop, plop, plop. <laughs> The dad is like trying to talk to the air and it's just like, I did everything you asked me. Please. No. Plot. Uh-huh. <laughs> and the last one mm-hmm. is Alex and Grace. And this is what amazed me because he's just like, holy shit. It was real. Like mm-hmm. you're realizing everything is real. But they won. And he's married to Grace. Yeah. So technically... He's not supposed to die because they're still married. And he starts walking towards Grace and he's just like, I'm so sorry. Like, <laughs> da, 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 all this stuff, just trying to like talk to her. And she has this sense of like, I fucking made it. Fuck you. Mm-hmm. And the second the words, I want a divorce, <laughs> leaves her lips, uh-huh. this motherfucker explodes. <laughs> All over her. Mm-hmm. She's just covered in guts. Imagine if that's how every divorce ended. <laughs> oh, God. She's just covered in guts. And she looks over at the chair at the head of the table. Uh-huh. And it's Mr. LaBelle just looking at her. Like and he, smoky outline. Smoky Mr. outline. And just like winks. Mm-hmm. And like disappears. And she's just like, fuck. Yeah. 
house catches fire she leaves but again it's one of those moments of just total hilarity mm-hmm. we were dying and and like we saw this in theaters we bought the film we've watched it three or four times since and no matter what every time that scene comes i die laughing mm-hmm. i love it i love it and the <laughs> medic asks her too which is hilarious he's like ma'am are you okay mind you she's covered in blood mm-hmm. dress ripped apart sitting on the steps that i'm pretty sure she said her vows on mm-hmm. smoking a cigarette from the cigarette box of her mother-in-law that she like the box she liked so much and he's just like are you okay and she just this movie ends with this final word from her she just says in-laws mm-hmm. <laughs> and i'm just like yes <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah it was a phenomenal phenomenal film Right. But I do have a question. All yeah. right. And this is my last question. Why couldn't the coffee bean go trick or treating? Oh my god. <laughs> um I don't know. I suck at these. Why? Because it was grounded. <laughs> and that is dad joke number three, guys. <laughs> All right. Uh before we dive into little monsters, I do want to make two quick plugs. And the first one is for us. Uh, so there's. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> I didn't know about this. What is going so, on? So uh, if you hop on the website, twocoffinstospeak.com, you'll see there is new art up. There is new art from Desiree up. Um, is there? Or we're going to put it up. It is up. Oh, you put it up already? You didn't even tell me. Yeah, it's up, I think. No, I think it was. There will or is new art up <laughs> from Desiree at twocoffinsandspeak.com. Um, and so we're kind of continuing on with the series in which we look at some of the amazing intellectuals who are influencing horror, horror culture uh, out and about there today. And so, of course, there's the first print that's up there from Andrew Subasati of Hex the Patriarchy. And now there is the second in the series, which is Dr. Robin Means Coleman. Um, who I hope most people know. And if you don't know, you need to go look her up. You need to read up on her work. She wrote Horror Educate Noir. Educate yourselves. Mm-hmm. She wrote Horror Noir and uh, has just amazing analysis, amazing theories around um, just the intersections of race and uh, uh, race and gender, especially in horror, horror film history, horror culture. So there is a new print, Dr. Robin Means Coleman and Pale Old Racists, mm-hmm. uh, up on the website. And or going guys, to be up on the website. I also finally got some logo stickers. Um, they came in a lot smaller than what <laughs> I wanted them to be, so I will forewarn you for that. They're about one by two inches. Um, so check it out. I think I'm gonna, you know, uh, definitely put some like a sticker with a print if you order a print. Um, down the road, I'm probably gonna do print packs. Um, mm-hmm. so multiple prints in like a. a a value pack um so just keep an eye out for things i need to stop slacking and actually put some stuff together so we're gonna start <laughs> putting some things on the website and everything for you guys to enjoy and support us mm-hmm. Yay. Mm-hmm. um and so that's the first one and then the second plug is if you're like us before the pandemic uh chances are you got together with some friends either played board games video games whatever it was we used to have weekly Dungeons and Dragons at our house all before <laughs> La Rona. I so much. Uh, <laughs> as part of that, there is uh, an amazing group that I want to shout out. Scatterbrain Creations, Kyle and Emily and all over at Scatterbrain Creations. They uh, make board games. They make card games. But 
they've also been incredibly creative and taken some of their games and some of their ideas and brought them to be virtual, right? So they've got awesome games. They've got a horror trivia-based games that you can play over Zoom with your friends. Check them out, Scatterbrain Creations on Facebook. Um, it's just a, it, it's a great, it's a great little piece of joy and happiness to have mm-hmm. when the world does have to be virtual right now to keep us safe. And we've played some of their games a few years ago, and mm-hmm. it was extremely enjoyable. It was a blast. And they are two awesome people, mm-hmm. so check them out, support them as well. Mm-hmm. So, just two quick plugs to throw in there. But now we're going to talk about little monsters. Uh, before we get to little monsters, there is one thing that I wanted to bring up, uh, Desiree. Yes. Why do oh skeletons? Fucking Christ! <laughs> why do skeletons never watch horror movies? Mm, I don't know. Because they don't have the guts to stomach it. <laughs> Are we at four? Is that the fourth one? I think that's the fourth joke, guys. All right, Little Monsters. <laughs> so Little Monsters comes out in 2019, directed by Abe Forsyth. Um, this was, and I call it a hidden gem because I didn't hear a lot about it. Like I saw that it was coming out on Hulu on Hulu, like the platform itself. There wasn't a tremendous amount of advertising even now in the horror community, horror pages that I follow. I don't really see this kind of put out there as this great new horror movie. But I think it should be. And I really think it should be. It is. You were trying to talk to me about it a few times. And I was kind of like, I'll check it out later on. And I'm very happy that I did because mm-hmm. it was great. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a hell of a good time. Uh, starring <gasps> Lupita, Lupita Nyong'o. Nyong'o. I love her so much. <laughs> She's an amazing fucking actress. She is like, holy shit. Like, She's phenomenal. She just, like, she definitely envelops the character entirely. Mm -hmm. So you have Alex England, uh, who plays the character of Uncle Dave, who's just kind of like your stock burnout, right? Um, Thinks he's in a metal band, and all of the people in that metal band are him himself and him. (laughs) And he breaks up with his girlfriend because he couldn't commit and he didn't want to have kids. Goes to live with his sister. Sister has a little kid. Oh my Christ. Is that little kid adorable? His name is Felix. And he decides to help out and take Felix to school one day. And it is there that he meets Felix's teacher, played by Lupita Nyango, Miss Caroline. <laughs> and it's it's just, you know, the, the first few minutes of the film that's setting all of this up, um, you wouldn't pin this as a horror movie. You would pin this as like a comedy, pure and simple comedy mm-hmm. kind of burner stoner burnout comedy um and uh uncle dave decides that he is going to get with miss caroline by offering to help chaperone the field trip (laughs) attempts to get with miss caroline (laughs) he has no chance to chaperone the field trip uh in which the class is going to a farm like a petting zoo type farm Mm -hmm. um they get over there and throughout the time, uh, there's like all of the kind of usual fumbles, goofiness. One thing that's worth noting is the bus breaks down and Miss Caroline knows how to play the ukulele. And so she starts playing Shake It Off, Taylor Swift Shake It Off on the ukulele 
for the entire bus of kids. I think they're like first graders, second graders. I think they're kindergartners. Mm, somewhere around there, right? I'm pretty sure Young, they're kindergartners. Little they're kids. like five. They're tiny. They're adorable. And so they're sitting there doing the little kid like sing-along version of Shake It Off. And you can imagine yourself in Uncle Dave's shoes of just being like, I wish that there was a wealthy family trying to sacrifice me to the devil right now so I didn't have to listen to little kids <laughs> sing Shake It Off on a ukulele. Um, but that comes up afterwards, and that's the only reason why I reference it. But it is. It's this idea of, you know, being around little kids. Now. Side note, Australian accents are way better than fucking ours. Our <laughs> accents suck. Because, like, I'm literally listening to these people talk. And the I'm like, fuck out of here. What are you talking about? Oh, my God. Um, my God. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so... You know that Miss Caroline becomes one of kind of your key players as a character in this film. News alert. I'm a teacher. I teach high school. No. Right? It's not like I mentioned it at all. You totally never mentioned that before. (laughs) I teach high school and middle school. I teach high school and middle school for a goddamn reason. And the reason is because (laughs) I would never have the patience to teach elementary school for a single fucking class. I couldn't do it. I could not do it. May all of the gods, old and new, bless every single elementary school teacher, because that is a different level of care and patience. Not everyone. Some of them are evil as shit. Most of the elementary school teachers. Mm, I had. I have a, a few in my mind from mm-hmm. when I was a kid that uh, I don't wish nice things upon them. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. Me too. But um, that is an added element that. As I was watching the film, you know, automatically gets my sympathy kind of up to level 11 for Miss Caroline. I was just like, God bless you. I don't know how you're pulling this off. They make it to the farm. And as soon as they make it to the farm, it cuts to right next to the farm is a U.S. Army base. Mm -hmm. Now, I love, love that this wasn't some unidentified Army base, some unidentified like corporate scheme. This was the United States Army. And this is an Australian film. That's why Desiree said Australian accents. Um, it's an Australian film. And the U.S. Army base is, like, quite openly experimenting with zombies. And out of... Uh, out of As one does. <laughs> out of the kind of, like, tone that you get from these from these soldiers who are on the base, they, it's, it's normal to them. They're just like, oh, yeah, the zombies. Um, I think they're talking about, like... The one thing they want to see is like, I better hug a fucking koala, man. (laughs) Like they don't even care about like the shit that's actually going down in this base. Yep. And and of course, as you might imagine, the zombies get out. Uh and quickly and, and I know this is this is really hard for us to imagine. Perhaps it feels like this is damn near impossible and only in our imagination that some kind of viral infection could spread super quickly and move from one person to 10 people to 100 people. But it, it's it's a matter of, of minutes before you have zombies escaping the U.S. Army base to zombies in the petting zoo. And this <laughs> is where you have this beautifully hilarious mashup of U.S. soldier zombies <laughs> making it onto a petting zoo in which you have not just the petting zoo staff and animals, but you also have a bunch of little kids there on a field trip. And tourists and, like, I'm assuming, like, some parents that were there mm-hmm. and everything. So it's a mixture of 
little kids, adults, and army people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the same day that they're there for the field trip, Mr. McGiggles is also there. <laughs> <laughs> and so this is a character who's played by Josh Gad, and he does fucking amazing as this character which guys i didn't realize it until the second time that i watched this movie this guy is the fucking voice of olaf (laughs) in frozen and i'm sitting there staring i'm like i know this voice what is this voice they chose the perfect character (laughs) to encapsulate this imagine like the wiggles Mm -hmm. (laughs) like type of thing yeah the Wiggles meets Blue's Clues meets like human Teletubbies and he's got like a Kermit the Frog type mm-hmm. mascot and he does this obnoxious dance that all the kids love to do. If you're um, a 90s kid, pretty much like what Barney would have been to you. Mm-hmm. It's just the child's idol. Mm-hmm. Like, So zombies start storming the petting zoo. And as they start storming the petting zoo, the first time that the kids, re- or not even the kids, but... The first time that Miss Carolyn realizes this is while they are on the tractor being kind of like pulled around the entire <laughs> zoo. And she sees one of the zombies is eating um, eating one of the ladies who's giving the tour. Mm-hmm. And this is where, and, and this is kind of what I want to talk about with this film. This is where this movie becomes funny for a general audience, but then especially funny for a specific audience. And so Miss Caroline hops off the tractor without even thinking for a second and immediately is like, well, got to take care of the kids. And so she grabs a pitchfork, (laughs) fucking shoves a pitchfork through this zombie to stick him to a tree and then takes one of the costumes off of like a silly, Mm -hmm. goofy scarecrow and puts it on the zombie so that the kids won't be afraid of it. Yep. And so... I think for completely masking the the horror that yeah. is going on from these children. <laughs> yeah. And so I think for a general audience you're watching that and it's just funny, right? It's Lupita Nyango shoving a pitchfork through a like zombie soldier and <laughs> and throwing a scarecrow mask on him. But if you're a teacher or if you're married to a teacher or if you just know a teacher really well, <laughs> It's that added layer of of where the humor comes in um, because you're like, fucking hell, I haven't been there with zombies, but I've been there before where something obnoxious is happening when you take your kids out in public and you take your students out in public, and now suddenly you've got to act quick and cover it up, mm-hmm. or you got to get them out of there, right? Or in general, you are now the line between like that kid's protection. Like mm-hmm. you are their protection, so you have to do whatever it is mm-hmm. to, to save them. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's one thing with humor is that, and especially with dark humor, is that a. A well-done dark humor film is going to be funny for everyone, but there are going to be elements and characters and scenes that are going to be funny for even funnier for particular people who share an experience or share an identity, mm-hmm. right? You could laugh at and, and feel certain parts of Ready or Not a way that I couldn't because you are a woman in this society, mm-hmm. because you shared certain experiences with Grace, right? Yeah. I could watch little monsters and sit there not just dying, but honestly, like, rooting for Miss Caroline in a way I haven't rooted for a lot of characters in a horror movie. Because I was like, 
fuck yeah, elementary school teacher. <laughs> fuck those zombies up and save those kids. I know that. I know that. And I can see somebody watching this movie who has no kids, uh, has never really dealt with kids, mm-hmm. um, hasn't dealt like besides their own schooling, like teachers and things like that, and not enjoying it as much mm-hmm. because they're just like, they don't relate. They don't understand that dark comedy behind it and they mm-hmm. they wouldn't enjoy it yeah but. and so um as soon as miss caroline's teacher senses go off she realizes we gotta we gotta get somewhere we can't just walk around or like be dragged around on a tractor pretending that everything's fine a tractor that's going a hot like three miles <laughs> per minute i, I yeah. might add and that's the max speed that this thing freaking goes i walk faster than this thing uh-huh. uh uncle dave as you might imagine fucking useless fucking useless throughout this period of time um but miss caroline tries to get everyone back to the gift shop and it is there that miss caroline gets everyone off the tractor all the little kids off the tractor uh is still just pretending like everything's fine tell the kids that we're playing a game we're essentially playing like keep away and we want to keep away from all of those zombies (laughs) (laughs) um tries to make it into the gift shop where mr mcgiggles is no longer a happy, fun-sounding children's uh, host, but is instead locked himself into the gift shop and essentially shown his his full, coked-out self to be who he is. And as Miss Caroline is trying to convince him to let the kids inside, he comes to the door and he's like, Oh, little kids, that's really sad. I don't fucking care. And you <laughs> see... <Eat> shit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And you see him just totally, like, sacrifice these kids to the zombies. Miss Caroline, as a teacher would, thinks fast, sees a side entrance, gets all the little kids through the side entrance. Mm-hmm. Gets them into this, like, sunroom-type area of the gift shop. And mm-hmm. then it takes Uncle Dave crashing through the roof mm-hmm. to have this duel mm-hmm. with Mr. McGiggles mm-hmm. to get the damn kids to safety. And so the thing with the the Mr. McGiggles character is, like... So I imagine there's an even additional layer where if you're an elementary school teacher or if you are the parent of young kids at that age, you must have a very special kind of hatred towards some of these characters and towards some of these kids' fads. Like, I know parents who who's like endocrine system lights up when they hear paw patrol because they're just like i will fucking wreck this right now <laughs> and <laughs> what's a, oh peppa pig too i know oh. a bunch of parents who are just like fuck that little pig <laughs> i can't i can't deal with her anymore it's gotta be a special kind of hate man yeah that that this movie again does a really good job of playing into because these characters on screen you know are supposed to be wholesome they're supposed to have very strict boundaries when we talk mm-hmm. about like moral bon- boundary crossing they have very strict boundaries that they adhere to and then in this film you see that character be a total shitbag he doesn't care if these kids live or die he starts talking to uncle dave about his drug use about how the only happiness he can find in his life because he hates children is to actually have sex with all of the moms that he can of Mm -hmm. the kids who show up to, like, his events. On, like, his event tours and everything, (laughs) which is horrible. Because later on, and, like, I'm not trying to jump forward, but as there's little zombie kids everywhere, he's just like, (laughs) I fucked your mom, and I fucked your mom. And it's just like, 
oh my god (laughs) (laughs) yeah and so what makes it hilarious is that the character who should have the strictest of moral boundaries is the one breaking in the most obscene ways who's like every even boundary sucking on purell in like the cleaning cabinets just to like get himself away from whatever the hell is happening on right now yeah 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 um so now they're in the gift shop they're doing their thing of course um this the movie kind of then takes it into the corner of like Uncle Dave realizes how special Miss Caroline is. Mm-hmm. Um, how much of an amazing woman and protector she is of these children. Mm-hmm. And how much he sucks. Like, quite frankly, how much he yeah. sucks. And so he's trying to do better. He's trying to do better. And the kids say they're hungry. So Uncle Dave finds a bunch of snacks in the gift shop, throws a bunch mm-hmm. of snacks at the kids. His nephew, Felix... Is allergic to, like, everything. Yeah. But massively dairy. Dairy allergic, gluten allergic, Mm -hmm. all of these things. And so he hands Felix a bag of chips. Felix, being a little kid, is like, is this okay, Uncle Dave? And he doesn't even think about it twice, says it's fine. Next thing you know... Yeah, they're chips, man. Come on. (laughs) Just eat them. What the fuck? Um, Next thing you know, Felix is going into anaphylaxis. Right? Mm -hmm. And... Then he realizes that the EpiPen, oh no, I lied. That's actually one of the better moments is he does have an EpiPen on him. Uh Doesn't listen to the rules of how to inject the EpiPen. And so when he goes to try and hit Felix with the EpiPen, instead hits himself, right? No, he- Gets his thumb. Yeah, gets his thumb. He essentially flips the EpiPen upside down, gets his thumb. Felix still needs an EpiPen. Uh, The only EpiPen left was in their backpacks that was on the tractor, which is now covered in zombies. And an even better part of that is all the backpacks are the fucking Mr. McGiggle. <laughs> They're all Mr. McGiggle and they all look the same. So poor Miss Caroline is just like, uh-huh. the fuck? <laughs> but gets out there and fucking wrecks. And and these are the moments where like you actually see the zombies in the film. This is not a particularly gory zombie movie. Mm-hmm. Um, the zombies... It, it just tips it over the edge to dark humor because of some of the gore, because you do see like little kid zombies and all of these things. Um, But the zombies don't play a particular part other than providing tension. And so Miss Caroline just kind of like goes full fucking teacher Rambo gets out there, runs towards the tractor, finds the right bag, gets it right back. Mm hmm. Uh, gets back just in time to save Felix. And throughout the entire time, Uncle Dave, who... So, uh, Alexander England is the actor who plays Uncle Dave. He's a big dude. Like, he looks like Australian Thor. Yes. He is a big dude. He's useless. Yes. He's useless. And I adore that about the kind of inversion of what your expectations are in a zombie film, that it is Lupita Nyong'o, who is no small person herself, like... she looks like she could throw a right hook. <laughs> but she's small, like, like stature-wise. Yeah, stature-wise. Like, she's petite. Stature-wise, yeah. But you have this this beautiful woman of color who's a teacher who is wrecking shit in this zombie survival moment. Meanwhile, Australian Thor is just like... What do I do? What the fuck do I do? <laughs> um, Another thing, too, that kills me about these zombies, guys, is, like, had I been an adult on this trip with like one child 
you can just fucking walk fast and get mm-hmm. out of there. They're not going to bother you. Yeah. But it's literally the fact that they have like Hundreds. 20 kids with them that they all have to get out together mm-hmm. <laughs> that makes it a hard feat because mm-hmm. it's just like, shit, I can carry one. <laughs> I yeah. can't carry all of them. Yeah. And throughout the entire film, Miss Caroline never once loses her shit on those kids. No. She and she says it. I, I love the point where she grabs Teddy McGiggles and she like puts him against a wall so that the kids can't see her with like a piece of broken porcelain to his neck. And she's just like, You're gonna fucking stop right now because you're freaking these kids out and it's my job to make sure they don't freak out or I will gut you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's like almost every teacher's role, guys. Like uh-huh. they are literally sacrificed to take care of your children. And like in parts, in some ways, it's like people forget that they are humans. They have a life. They have mm-hmm. a family at home. And they're just like, you will protect my child at all costs. And But you know what the thing is, though? We will. Yeah. Like, it, it, and, and that's the thing that I loved about this movie is part of the humor is you know, I watched Miss Caroline with that piece of porcelain to his neck, and I'm thinking to myself, like, I've wanted to fucking do that before. Like, <laughs> there have been people who have come in who have freaked the kids out, and I'm just like, I, I will, will gut you. I will gut you. Get <laughs> um, away from my children. Yes, yes. And no matter how bad it gets, and no matter how tired Miss Caroline gets, she will not put on a face that is anything but safe and stable and, and mm-hmm. like, trying to bring these kids some sense of comfort Mm -hmm. even when some of the kids start breaking Mm -hmm. she still tries to maintain her sanity hashtag i want to play mini putt putt (laughs) (laughs) i was like i i would have i would not have been nice to that child there is a little chunky child who in the gift shop as they are like trying to go to sleep (laughs) while hearing the zombie groans all around them is just like miss caroline when are we going to play putt-putt? I want to play putt-putt, Miss Caroline. <laughs> putt-putt And then golf. throws a fit, like Donald Trump level fit, of just like, I want to play putt-putt golf. <laughs> Keeps her shit throughout the entire time and just manages to take care of those kids. Um, and so at that point, we then get the U.S. Army doing exactly what the U.S. Army would realistically do which is preparing to bomb the hell out of the petting zoo. Yeah, let's um, not see who's alive nope. or anything. <laughs> let's just assume. <laughs> They're going to initiate a protocol in which they just like level the entire area. Um, and and it's 100% believable. And again, part of the humor in that and, and part of the moral violation is that you see the U.S. Army just being like, ah, oh, shit, zombie release again. <laughs> like, yeah. It is not a major thing to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, Uncle Dave and Miss Caroline try and get away. They are originally going to get Teddy McGiggle to bring over the Teddy McGiggle van, um, but he tries to screw them over. And, of course, karmatic justice. He actually gets killed by Frogsy, who is his sidekick on the show. Yep. His frog puppet sidekick yeah just like what through his chest or something like <laughs> chest his chest, yeah. <laughs> and it completely wrecks him which is just that was satisfying mm-hmm. i was just like yes <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um and so uh they are trying to now like plan b is get the tractor right so uncle dave is going to go get the tractor but as uncle dave goes to try and get the tractor felix escapes 
gets out of the um, gets out of the gift shop, and he's in full Darth Vader costume gear at this point, mm-hmm. and it's fucking adorable because he's literally walking around all of these zombies because like that said it's it's slow zombies these are not mm-hmm. 28 uh 24 hours later god what was that movie 28 days later <laughs> <laughs> they're not 28 days later super fast zombies these are the slow moving night of the living dead Ugh, zombies yeah. and little felix in a darth vader costume is like pretending to force choke them as they trip over sheep and yeah. things like that you just see like they they definitely represent the innocent in like the innocence in children mm-hmm. in this movie because they don't understand the vastness of the situation because mm-hmm. they were told it's a game keep away it's keep away and felix and his uncle have played like the whole darth vader scheme where like he can actually like choke people mm-hmm. and stuff so this kid truly believes this is what he's doing and it's so adorable mm-hmm. but it's just like oh my god <laughs> you might die yeah. that's the thing right that's the that's the the strange tension in which you're like giggling and loving it and it's adorable and it's humorous but at the same time as you're watching that scene in the back of your head you're like I swear to God, if they kill Felix, I swear to God, if they kill Felix, <laughs> then this movie is trash. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's that. That's that wonderful piece of of um, the setting kind of helping it all, right? The setting giving you the allowance to find this funny. I also think it's adorable that Felix. Um, He's the only one who knows how to use the damn tractor. He loves tractors and his uncle shits on him for it. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, he realizes like, I need this kid. Like, I I shouldn't push aside a child and stuff and like disregard them or anything like that. Because like, this kid is useful. Mm -hmm. He's smart. Like, he knows way more shit than I do. And he's saving our damn lives right now. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, people need to realize that. Like, you can't disregard children like at all nope nope because they smart they know what's going on Mm -hmm. even if they don't entirely understand what's going on they they're processing it they're processing it at any age at Mm -hmm. any age and so felix and dave make it to the tractor like desiree just said felix helps him operate the tractor and they get all of the kids in the gift shop on the tractor now this is where some of the best comedy happens because now you've got all of these kids on a tractor that moves about three miles an hour, trying to get the hell out of this petting zoo as we wait for the U.S. military that has no idea about them to essentially, like, carpet bomb the area. Um, And again, Miss Caroline's teacher instincts kick in because the kids are starting to get scared. Although at first they're playing putt-putt golf with the zombies, in which that little chunky kid is just hitting zombies. Bonking them on the head. Um, but the kids are starting to get scared and so she does exactly what an elementary school teacher would do she starts getting them to do sing-alongs now mind you at this point if it was me I would jump off the tractor and let the zombies take me because if, <laughs> if it was like an hour and a half just of body surf into their hour, mouths it's fine <laughs> just consume me please I'd start like putting salt and pepper on my arm just to make sure that it tastes delicious oh, God. Um, some adobo uh, <laughs> <laughs> um but they start doing a sing-along, and as they start doing a sing-along is when they realize that the zombies can actually be, like, calmed. Not tamed or anything, but calmed by the singing. Mm-hmm. And um, they actually engage in the songs. Yeah, they'll do, like, the wheels on the bus go, yeah. and the zombies uh, go. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, 
they clap along with things and stuff and they're realizing that even though they're zombies they there's still some sort of essence to them like yeah. they have an odd form of communication and they can be like you said like calmed to an extent mm-hmm. um and then in one of the final pieces of grand dark humor <laughs> as the tractor approaches a line of u.s soldiers you see the kind of like grizzled general older guy uh, as they realize that it is a tractor filled with kids. And one of his soldiers tells him like, sir, there's kids on board. (laughs) And just the like super subtle, but wonderful line of like kids, I can't kill kids again. (laughs) You're just like, fuck it now. (laughs) Um, And again, you're allowed to laugh because of that. The setting of it, the psychological distance. And yet, you know, as you sit there giggling, you know it's fucking true. Like, the amount of times that the U.S. military is responsible mm-hmm. for countless deaths across the world, right? For countless bombing campaigns that have killed and hurt and harmed children. And yet, you recognize that the reason why you laugh in that moment isn't because that is true. You laugh because you recognize that the director and and the screenwriter is essentially calling out how hard that is, mm-hmm. is calling out the U.S. military's lack of a moral compass yeah, at all. Yeah, it's, it's not a secret yeah. by any means. And so it's the fact that, that they are making that joke at the expense of an authority figure, at the expense of the U.S. military, that makes it funny in that moment. And so they call off the, the, uh, the soldiers who are ready to fire on them. The tractor makes its way through. And as the zombies are behind them, they just get mowed down. You see. As they're trying to say, they're good, they're good. You just have <laughs> to sing to them. <laughs> Open fire. Um, you see like the the Pleasant Valley Farm mascot get annihilated. <laughs> uh, Mr. McGiggle, uh-huh. uh, the Frogsy, just uh-huh. everybody absolutely getting wrecked. There's a lot of really silly Foley sounds in the way that, that these zombies go down. <laughs> So there really is this like mixture of just kind of real dark humor, especially with Teddy McGiggles, but also just kind of like silly slapstick humor that happens with this film. Um, Some of that zombie gore that's just there to make you giggle. And so they make it through. They get put in quarantine. There is this real moment at the end that's like, I don't know, a little bit of a tearjerker where the parents come through and they're just terrified wanting to know what happened with their kids because naturally the parents never fucking know what Mm -hmm. the hell is happening like your kids just went through a zombie fucking infestation at a petting zoo and we didn't tell you shit Mm -hmm. we didn't tell you we were gonna bomb them or anything that was going on or what's going on literally until we finally let you into this room to see your children in Mm -hmm. quarantine Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm And so the general who comes to the room with all the parents doesn't give them any details, but just says, like, essentially their teacher saved their lives. Mm -hmm. Their teacher held steady throughout the entire thing. Teachers. (laughs) And then they're like, wait, there's one teacher. And they were like, well, there was this man. And his sister (laughs) is literally like, oh, my God, that's my brother. (laughs) Like, he did something? Uh What? Uh Uh-huh. So... That's uh, and then the parents go over to where they're quarantined and are able to see them still singing, singing Taylor Shake it Swift. Off. 
on the fucking ukulele. Like I said, throw me to the zombies. But um, I think the reason why that was a little bit of a tearjerker for me was just kind of having that feeling of like, yeah, we we as teachers are, and and this is unfortunate, and this is on our on our leaders of our society because of the, especially here in the United States, the things that we have to deal with. We are literally ready every day to take a bullet for kids mm-hmm. and and to try and hold a steady face through all of the shitty situations. And so when you see a movie like this, that cathartic release of just being like, yeah, I'd have to they do If it. it was zombies, yeah. I would have to fucking put a scarecrow mask uh-huh. on them. I would have to sing Taylor fucking Swift, <laughs> shake it off just to make sure that they were okay. And as a kind of like inside joke, there are those of us in the audience who who have that extra emotional attachment and it makes the funny things that much funnier. Mm-hmm. It makes the tense things that much more tense. Um, and that's important to know when, when you're looking at a, a film that involves dark humor. Mm-hmm. Because a good teacher wouldn't question it for a second doing yeah. any of those things. Yeah. And so it's not just a teacher piece. There's a lot of cases of, you know, an inside group understanding humor in a way that outside groups wouldn't. And so I do want to reference as we kind of like wrap things up. I want to reference one of my, I say favorite, but favorite mostly because of how interesting it is, Moments in History, um, which is the Great Cat Massacre of Paris. Um, and this is this is something that's talked about by Robert Darton um, in his book, The Great Cat Massacre and Other Histories. And it's really a focus on his perspective of what he calls new cultural history, or the history of mentalité, which is looking at like how do people's ideas change, how do I, the ideas of normal and acceptable and those moral boundaries that we talked about, how do those moral boundaries shift? And in the book, he talks about different times in history that this happened, but one of the most kind of fascinating times is in 17th century or I'm sorry, 18th century Paris. Um, if you were an apprentice printmaker. Your life sucked. <laughs> the life of most apprentices in just about every field sucks. Still sucks now. <laughs> I'm gonna just throw that out there. I've done a few. I was uh, for it. <laughs> I've done a few tattoo apprenticeships, and uh, it fucking sucks. <laughs> so you were abused. You like physically abused. Um, you were emotionally abused for sure. Like that was almost guaranteed. But you had to live with the person you were apprenticing under so the the you were living with the master printmaker fuck that and you depended on them for everything they provided you with food you didn't get a salary you didn't make anything so i'm assuming they didn't get fed very often then and so one of the things was that in paris many of these printmakers they would feed the um the leftover meat of their meals to their cats and then give the worst of the scraps, the like days old scraps, to their apprentices. Oh my god! So they actually treated their cats, which were a status symbol, right, for the Parisian elites. They treated their cats better than they treated their apprentices. Why would you become an apprentice? What the hell is appealing? So if you made it through and survived, and you became a master printmaker, you then did this all over again to some other lowly apprentice. So the whole idea to do this was just so that, like, you can dehumanize another person? That and, was the goal? And you gain status. And as usual in, like, a class system of, of 
you know, early capitalism. It was all about hoping that you made some type of better living. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, and so there was, for one apprentice in Paris, uh, two apprentices actually in Paris, they decided that they were going to get back at their masters. Hell through, yeah. Right? Um, and so... Choke you with your damn cat while you're sleeping. Uh, it's It's better than that. Oh. It's better than that. Um, so they were the apprentices of Jacques Vincent, right? And they planned that they were going to, they were going to pull a prank, essentially, to get back at their master. At night, what they would do, and they would sleep in quarters that were either outside or in the basement, right? Uh, at night, they would start screeching like cats in heat and like cats <laughs> fighting. Which right? is actually a horrible sound. Mm -hmm. And they would do it so that they could keep the print the the master printmaker's family awake and so as soon as they thought that they were about to fall asleep they would again make these terrible sounds of screeching other apprentices started joining in and around paris you would start hearing at night like these sounds of as if it, it, it was as if cats were suddenly possessed by demons and all fighting each other tis the fucking o'clock <laughs> <laughs> all these damn cats getting booty at the same time every night what the hell um and so when the when the master's wife started complaining about this, the two apprentices of Jacques Vincent mentioned, oh, I've heard, I, I, I remember the old tales that cats are actually the familiars of witches. Ooh. And so it might be that your cats, your beloved cats, they're summoning their, their masters, their, the witches, to come to your house and curse you. And so, of course, Vincent's wife freaks out and orders that these apprentices save them, find their cats, and kill them. And so they have a fucking blast of it. They start going around and finding any cat that they can and essentially holding fake public executions of the cats where they would like put the cats on trial but they would call the cats after the family name of their masters and these other apprentices started joining in and for a few weeks in paris did you had they actually killed the they kids? did that's horrible they did what yeah. the hell wasn't the damn cat's fault and so it was literally a massacre of cats across paris in which these apprentice printmakers were like going around having the time of their goddamn life murderers and and yeah so here's the reason why i bring this up and the, the thing Peta that would not be happy <laughs> <laughs> the thing that dalton mentions about this right as a historian is he says as we look at this history from from our current modern perspective it's super easy for us to be like man fuck those apprentices but to do that ignores the reality of the time that this was a reaction to their abuse Oh you yeah. Know? This was them seeing in those cats their masters and having a chance to get back at them. And it's fucked up and it's terrible and as an animal lover there is no excuse for that. However, I'm literally staring at our fat cat on the couch right now. <laughs> and I'm just like, I would never hurt you. <laughs> His question really is we have to think about the mentalities of the time in and and this isn't an excuse. This isn't the way people use like you know, they use this excuse to, to let go of former prejudices of leaders and stuff like that. But really what he's talking about is what we see in our societies as acceptable and non-acceptable, where we set our moral boundaries shift. They change with time. But 
the reasons why they change are often really important, you know? So if we look back at the 1700s and we might say, no, if you were a member of the working class, if you were an apprentice in any field, you're going to feel for those apprentices Mm -hmm. and you're probably going to laugh along with them. Now, of course, like it's different. It's different. Our feelings go perhaps to those animals that really didn't have a say in it at all. But where our moral boundaries are is something that's worth studying. It's worth knowing why you laugh when the maid gets hit with a crossbow. And it's worth (laughs) knowing why you laugh when Teddy McGiggles gets fucking like alien chest bursted. By his puppet counterpart. Because sometimes things can be too real and sometimes you just need the distance to be able to laugh at them. But it's that catharsis that's important. And there's always a reason for that catharsis. So... On that happy note, I do have a question for you, Desiree. Is it another dad joke? Is this like the fifth or sixth dad joke that we got? What we got? What we got? And you have to answer this one for me. Oh. What's a skeleton's favorite snack? <gasps> I know this one, guys. I know spare ribs. Ay. Ay. <laughs> Which I, I wouldn't consider spare ribs a snack. Oh, my God. All right. So on that note... <laughs> On that note, we're going to close the lids on this episode. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sticking around with yeah, us. Yeah, thanks for sticking around, guys. <laughs> um, we will try our best to like at least release an episode, I'd say, like what, once a month? Yep. That sounds good for right now. But don't hold us to it. We have our own lives. Uh, we're young adults. We're trying to figure shit out. Yeah. And we're fucking tired. And 2020 is rough. As I'm sure so, it has been for you I'm all I'm glad well. you've stuck around. I'm glad you guys are still listening. Tell your friends. Tell your family. Tell anyone. Share mm-hmm. us. Uh, like us. Leave a review. We're on Instagram. Two Coffins to Speak. And we will see you all later. Closing the lids on this episode. Take care. Bye, guys. Bye.